gorgeous listeners. Thank you for tuning in to episode 13 of the Human Magic Podcast. My name is Jack Hutchcraft. If this is your first time listening, then welcome. Welcome. You are more than welcome. If you're already a devotee, a disciple, then welcome back. It's been a little while. How have you been, mate? How have you been? You good? Well, I've been very well, thank you for asking. We're approaching summer 2021. I can feel it in the air. The flowers are blossoming. There is a subtle excitement in the air. I saw a daffodil earlier. Feeling good, feeling good today anyway. Uh, I really appreciate, I just have to take a minute to say I really appreciate everybody that donates to this podcast. Thank you so, 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 so much. You help make it happen, and uh, I am grateful, really grateful. Um, okay, on to today's episode. Today I'm sharing the conversation I had with journalist, filmmaker, podcast host, and writer Matt Stocks. He also happens to be a very close mate of mine, <laughs> so I really enjoyed catching up with him. You know, it, it was, we've got a lot to talk about on a friendship level but also talking about his work and his journey um he's got a podcast his is called life in the stocks and he interviews rock stars actors artists and other creatives you know people like john lydon from the sex pistols laura jane grace from against me the filmmaker alice lowe loads of different people it's a great podcast he's also got a book out of the same name called life in the stocks uh, which I'm going to link to all these in the description. That's I just finished the book. It's great. It's a collection of of his interviews over the years, like some snippets going through adolescence, punk music, booze, drugs, religion, politics, and loads of other stuff. Other stuff. <laughs> um, I recommend both of those. And he's also got a new podcast on the go, which is awesome, called Stoke the Fire. But I'll let him talk about all these a little bit more in depth. <laughs> oh, pardon me. Yeah, so we talk about loads of stuff today. His journey, his, you know, the early days of his journalism work, alcohol, addiction, empathy, compassion, self-employment, loads more. Um, this conversation was a bit deeper than I was expecting. You know, I knew we can get deep, but it was quite emotional towards the end. So I feel... I wasn't anticipating that, but I, I feel that it's better for it. You know what I mean? Anyway, I hope you enjoy it. I will catch up with you at the end. Peace. Are we in the show or are you just asking me? No, we're recording, yeah. We're, <laughs> we're all set, baby. Mate. So good to see you and speak to you. How are you doing? I'm doing good. And we should clarify in the interest of transparency for your listeners that we've been, I'd say actually from my point of view, you're one of a select few handful of people who I've been in kind of constant contact with since the great pandemic. Um, yes. Be because of the WhatsApp group we're in together, you know, the communication has been fairly fluid. And that group for me, and I'm sure... You know, you've probably got a couple, but for me, I'm only in that one because one's enough. But it's just been so 
important during this time to keep my mood elevated, to keep me connected. It's been a real godsend. You know, most of it is just memes and silly videos and things. Yeah, yeah. But those moments of comedy and, and contact over the last 14 months, I guess now, um, have been key for me. Mate, I, f- I feel the same way. It's funny because it doesn't seem like a big thing at the time. Obviously, it's, it's usually just for communication. We actually started the group to organize. We were going, we were all going away together. So it was like kind of logistic, logistical, like let, what time we get in there. And then it's, it's morphed into something that is a bit of a support group, I guess, it, even though yeah. it's, like you said, funny videos and <laughs> like jokes and daft things like that. So, yeah, man, it, it's, it's a strange thing. I think we've all, kind, all social, sociality over the pandemic is, is kind of transformed a little bit, you know. And I, I've really kind of, as you might have as well, I've really learned to appreciate and be grateful for contact i've had with people whether it's phone calls whether it's text messages or meeting up when we could and having a walk around so yeah man you're a good friend and i'm happy to have you on the podcast you were it's a pleasure to be on man and (laughs) it's always a pleasure diving in to conversations with you because you know when you do something like this and the mics are on it's always going to be amplified and elevated because you know people are going to be listening but i feel like even if the mics aren't on whenever you and i get together to chop it up and break it down uh it always goes pretty deep you know even just over a pint in the pub on a friday afternoon doesn't it or when yes. when pubs were a thing or are they <laughs> no they're a thing again now aren't they <laughs> yeah they are just about um yeah you're right so this, i'm going to learn some stuff about you i think that i that we haven't talked about though because you're a podcast host you're a journalist you're a documentary maker um correct yeah i don't ever get asked about that because i don't i don't really talk about it but yeah i mean i'd like to make more as you know it's so much easier to write an article do a podcast you know all these things are a very solitary pursuit and and there's no you know collaboration really involved so you can just get it done whereas documentary making you know there's the camera work side of things there's the editing side of things they're just yeah. a, a bit more of a tricky thing to pull off. Uh, and so how many have you made now? Have you done two or three? I, I've made, um, I've made four. Wow. One of the, one of them hasn't been released yet. Ooh. And, um, and I'm working on another, another big one, but the, um, but I've had to learn. Yeah. I've, I've had to learn to collaborate a little bit as well because yeah, when you do what we do, like, I, like, I'm a freelance journalist and you're, you're kind of freelance, aren't you really? Like you don't work for any specific. I haven't had a, a regular job since 2015 <laughs> and that includes within the media. So I haven't worked for like one specific outlet. Yeah. For, for coming up on six years now. Wow. So, so learning to collaborate with people is creative collaborations, as you talk about in your book, creative partnerships, you know, it does take a little bit of time to get into it because you, I'm so used to being self-driven. I'm sure you are as well and doing things on your own, at your own pace, in your own time, in your own way. I guess, yeah, because you're in a band, though, you have a bit more experience in in doing it. And for me, it really is like unfamiliar territory. I almost feel like the words on my gravestone when I I die should be, does not play well with others. Um, (laughs) And that's not socially, that's just kind of professionally. And I don't think that I'm difficult to work with, but... There must be a reason why 95% of my professional and creative life has been, you know, spent Solid, alone. <laughs> solitary, yeah. Um, so so you're, you've released a book, um, you released a book just at the end of the last year. 
And yes. I wanted to talk through kind of some of the subjects that you cover in there because it's it's a great book, man. I, I loved it. I feel like I'm ready for the follow-up, which we can get onto um, when the time is right. But like one of, one of the subjects you talk about is adolescence. So in your book, um, it's, a, it's like a compendium of, of a lot of quotes from the interviews you've done over the years because your podcast you've got like over over 200 episodes you interview so many rock stars and and actors and you know um rappers artists all sorts of different creative people and you've done a really good way of weaving a weaving it together into a book and i think it's a really clever way of, that you did it so big up yourself but some of those things Thanks, i wanted to know, i wanted to know more about you I, I, I guess you do, they do the intros, but I wanted to know, I wanted to put it on you a little bit, if you don't mind. Yeah. Well, of course. So, and the reason it's presented in that way, just quickly, is obviously because everything in the, the chapters, aside from my introductions, is word for word transcriptions of the podcast. So the reason yeah. there's not more of me in the conversations is because on my show, I try and just make it the balance 10%, 90% with the guests. So that's kind yeah. of the reason why there's only you know, a smidgen of me in the book is because really there's only a smidgen of me in the podcast. But um, anything you want to know, Jack, about any of the topics <laughs> in the book, I'm an open book. Let's go. Well, do you know, well, do you know uh, I actually, even though what, despite what you just, what you just said, I actually did learn about you. I learned about you through your introductions into the, into the chapters, but also through just what you chose to include in the book. Yeah. yeah you yeah. know, it's, it's yeah. kind of like, it's kind of like um, the process. I learned about the way your brain works or your creative mind through the process that you went through, fr through the through the choice cuts that you had of, of the interview. So, well, they're a reflection your... of my taste, right? They're hopefully a reflection of my personality and, and dare I say, my my soul, if we can be that lofty. Yes, um, we can. Yeah, and very much. I mean, even the topics themselves, not just what I chose within those topics, but even the topics are also, I think, a, a quite clear um, insight into who I am because I could have chosen a number of other subjects. But then again, the main subjects that came up time and time again were those ones because for me, they're just the ones that interest me the most. And I think when you, if we want to go into adolescence first, I think adolescence is the most key thing to understanding everybody because we are all, I believe, a product of our upbringing. I think we can all transcend it. And if we've had a traumatic or turbulent upbringing. I don't think that defines us. We can, you know, overcome those difficulties and, and strive to, you know, become way better than what our initial start in life would have perhaps suggested that we'd become. But it always, I think, informs and, and directs and drives our path in life, I believe. With that in mind, what were you like as a teenager? Because like I said, there's a big, a big uh, chapter, introductory, introductory chapter in your book is adolescence. And I did like, I really liked that, the um, putting it under the microscope in such a way. So what were you like as a teenager? And has it, how has that informed your, uh, your later life? Uh, well, I, th I think from the last year, from the group that you've been in with me and my friends from school, you've probably gotten more of an insight into you know, what I was like then, because a lot of my personality traits have carried over into adult life, the sense of humor, very much the sense of, of like adventure and fun uh, and lust for life. And, you know, obviously when you're a teenager, everybody, I think, goes off the rails to some extent. That's part of growing up. Um, but for me, when I was growing up, my household situation was pretty difficult 
and you know that's not uncommon i'm not a rare case but it was certainly you know a fairly turbulent time at home from a very young age so for me i wanted to get out the house as much as possible and whenever i was out the house i was having as much fun as possible in that time because when i was home i wasn't really happy a lot of the time and and so it was always for me like the second i was out the front door i was out to just explore not the world, but my, my local city, Solly Hull, Solly Hull yeah. and Birmingham. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, have as much fun as possible, make connections, you know, make out with girls, experiment with not drugs yet, but certainly alcohol and, yeah. and pot and weed um, <laughs> and just have fun. Just really, you know, and a lot of it was reckless suburban kind of typical stuff, you know, smashing plant pots and just... <laughs> stupid 90s kind of atypical <laughs> suburban vandalism um but hopefully there was never any real victims other than the plant pots yeah and yeah man i was just i was reckless i'd say in short i was very reckless but i was never mean-spirited or nasty um i was just out for carnage are you reckless now i think so i think i'm reckless in my well, I'll give you a great example. I'm kind of in a new scheme with partying, as I've told you, this year where I've got my 21 token system. So 21 tokens for 2021. We're a fourth, uh, a third, I guess, of the way through the year now, and I've cashed in a third of them. So I'm on track. I, I, I'm really well. I don't, understand. I don't understand. Can you explain? <laughs> the token system. Yeah, so, you, what, so when you want to have a party... I just you... cash one in. So I've got 21. Basically, there's 21 <laughs> days this year in which I can drink. The rest of the time, okay. I'm 100% sober. I don't even touch a drop of anything. Uh, and that's kind of how I want to live my life from here on in because I'm so much happier sober. I get so much more done sober. I'm so much more content and productive and creative and a better person in every way. But I still enjoy to let loose sometimes and I don't want to quite yet close that door I think I will soon, maybe in the next couple of years. I think I'm going to dry out completely, but there's still some fun to be had. So I'm going with this token system of, yeah, if I cash in a token for that 24-hour period, all bets are off. You know, I can do whatever I want <laughs> within the yeah. vague legal guidelines of the law <laughs> um, or not. And then um, the rest of the time, I'm completely straight. But so what I did is last week I was in London and I was like in my friend's hot tub we, we took an ecstasy pill and we were just tripping and we were really high and having a great day. And I was like, I thought it'd be a good idea to FaceTime a bunch of like the musicians and rock stars that I have phone numbers of and I'm friends with. So, I mean, that's quite a reckless thing to do because that could really damage my professional relationship with these guys. And you know me, you can imagine me sat in a Fucking hot tub. Hell on an afternoon gurning. with my Hawaiian shirt on, gurning away, <laughs> FaceTiming rock stars. I mean, that's quite reckless behavior, I would say. Was it, was it well received? Yeah, it was well received. And, <laughs> and, and, and this is the thing, and this is why it's hard for people like me to be completely straight, because so much of the connections that I have do come from those kind of situations where drugs or alcohol or partying is involved. Yes. And yes. I'm somehow given this kind of a pass by a lot of people because they know that I'm a good person and they kind of like that cheeky fun side of me 
Yeah. But it's very rare that I get told by anybody, dude, your drinking is a problem and it's a concern and it's yes. pissing me off. So do you know what I mean? So you go for longer than you perhaps should because you think, oh, everybody loves me when I party, you know, um, and they always encourage it. And then, but it, I'm sort of at a point now where it's like, I don't want to be the guy who's FaceTiming rock stars on pills when right. <laughs> I'd sooner just FaceTime them sober. And, you know, that level of respect remains intact. But, but as I but said, then, it was received well. <laughs> so, but it's interesting. So that, so, 21 tokens is probably about once every two and a half weeks, once every three weeks, right? Yeah, which is completely reasonable, I think. I can get down with that. I can get down with that. And I did January, February sober completely. So I had 21 at the start of March. Then March was my birthday month, and I cashed in four in a week (laughs) last week in London. But that's because, you know, I'll basically go through periods of like a month of just complete sobriety, really productive kind of, you you know, prolific work. And then I go, right, I'm going to have a week where I just cut loose and and have fun. That's a a really cool system, man. And I guess you have to save some back for Christmas 2021. Well, it's the first time I've ever done it. So it's obviously a learning curve. And I've made a pact with myself. If I get carried away over summer and I run out by like September, there's no buying anymore. So I have to just ride out the rest of the year. And so when I'm at Christmas period and I can't have a drink, that's when I go, okay, well, then next year I'm going to space them out a bit and not get carried away. Because as much as anything, it's just a fun social experiment for me to do because I I don't like the idea of having to, like, keep a track of how many days I haven't drunk for because I think that's a hard way of looking at it because then you're a slave to the the alcohol, right? Whereas if you go, okay, I know I have 15 days left this year in which I can have fun, you sort yeah. of flip the perspective on it and you make it more of like a almost a game. Yes, I, I, Pokemon Go. Yeah, <laughs> got to catch them all. <laughs> or got, got to cash in them all. <laughs> I love that, mate. Um, and so... Okay, so you've still got a bit of the uh, that reckless spirit from when you were a teenager inside of you, but you're doing very well to keep it under control. How did you get into journalism? Was it through just being a big rock fan, metal um, fan, punk, punk fan kind of thing? Yeah, it's kind of an interesting path. So I studied film at uni, and that was always going to be my, I think, chosen area of, of creativity and hopefully like a job, an income, a living. Um, I fell in love with Tarantino, as many teenagers in the 90s did, with that whole mythology of, oh, man, he just works in the video store and he hangs out and, you know, just consumes cinema and all his movies are all these kind of layered pop culture references. And I got big into that. So I went to university, studied film. Um, and then what happened at uni was it was I was at Exeter and the nightlife there was very bland at best. Um, that university is a very top tier university and a lot of the people who end up there, not me, but a lot of the other people, most of the people who end up there are people from privately educated, very well, very well to do backgrounds and often are the kind of people that should have gone with the education that they've had and the families that they've come from to Oxford or Cambridge, but they Mm. didn't quite hit that elite tier so then exeter like just at the time i was there anyway was just underneath those two and i didn't know that until i got there i just went there because the course was amazing and the campus looked beautiful and i arrived and i was like oh my god i was never really aware of class in terms of the upper class until i got to exeter it was such an eye-opening experience for me and everywhere i went people would be like what school did you go to and because i that's interesting because because everyone knows the, the top schools 
everybody knows them and they want to profile you in terms of your wealth and economic status. But me being me, because I was so like obsessed with American cinema, I thought public schools were open to the public in the yeah. way that, the, but they're obviously over here, that's the state school. So I went to a state school, but I didn't know this. So I'd be going around saying, I, I went to a public school, I guess. It was open to the public. And I get people being like, you didn't go to a public school. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, what the hell does that mean? I can't get into a school that's free. It's misleading. Yeah. <laughs> and, and what? And it made me really bitter and angry for a while towards upper middle class and upper yes. class people because a lot right. of them were so entitled and so obnoxious and ignorant and rude um, and, you know, and that over time passed because I got to know some of them better. And I realized in the same way that you can't profile anybody, you know, in terms of their gender or race or, you know, sexuality, spirituality, anything like this, you can't help what your what family you're born into. So if you're yeah. super, super wealthy, you know, you can't help that. And so I think everybody, including the elite, deserves you know, to be a bit of a, compassion. Exactly that, man. Empathy and compassion and and just like understanding, treat them with an open mind like you would somebody who's working class, middle class, everything else. But yes. I've got gone way off topic, but it's all good. <laughs> the um the nightlife there was catered to these people. So a club night in Exeter, typically at that <laughs> time, would be like cheesy pop music. All the rugby team would take off their shirts to the Baywatch theme and like pose <laughs> like this. This was the nightlife, dude. And I'm like, wow. I'm, I'm, a like <laughs> I'm a student. I'm meant to be like, there's meant to be revolution in the air. You know, I'm meant yeah. to be meeting like-minded creative people. And I'm in a fucking arena nightclub listening to the Baywatch theme whilst jocks strip. And I was wow. just like, this is not life. So I, me and a group of friends started our own club night called Fuck Yourself Collective was the DJ crew that we had nice. FYC and there was about nine of us by, by the end of it. And, and we all played different genres. There was jungle, drum and bass, hip hop, reggae, punk, minimal house, like every genre you could think of. Each DJ had their own niche and we would just rock up to house parties with our sound system and just take them over, man. It was amazing. And we got such a reputation that if there was a house party happening, the call would be made and we'd be booked to play it. And nice. you know, we were like facilitating a lot of the, extracurricular flavors at these parties yes. as well you know we were perhaps providing certain things too so we were we were the like the kind of boys on campus and girls those two girls in the mix as well and we would just like spread party everywhere we went <laughs> and then after uni i was like this is really fun promoting club nights and djing is really fun and obviously yeah. i've always liked partying so it allowed me to indulge in that lifestyle whilst making money and meeting people and just the perfect gig so i stayed on in exeter after i graduated uh moved into this nightclub which was then called amber rooms it's now called the monkey suit i think if it's still around um and i lived on the third floor dj'd on the second tended bar on the first and and it, that was like my three-story life for about six months i barely left i'd eat all my meals there lock in after hours there every day very unhealthy lifestyle quickly you know kind of ran its course and i decided i can't yeah stay here for long i'm going to drink myself into an early grave it was fun but it was very nihilistic and, and not very rewarding because what also happened is everybody who i knew graduated and you're in these although i knew people in the younger years my group of core friends had all gone and left you know gone back home gone to london so exeter became a totally different city in that time because it's not a city like <coughs> birmingham or manchester or bristol or leeds where it has stuff going on it's a student town so if all the students you know are gone, it can kind of yes. be quite a lonely place. 
So I bailed, went back to Birmingham, moved back in with my mum and was like, right, what am I going to do now? I've got this English literature and film studies degree. I want to write, but I don't even know where to begin with that stuff. And at that time, Kerrang Radio was based in Birmingham and it was the biggest rock station in the country. And I'm from Birmingham and I love rock and I just yeah. moved home and I thought I'm going to write to them and see if I can like get a week's placement. So that's, I wrote to the station. Luckily I had a friend from college whose older brother was now a presenter there. So there was a way in there and um, he was actually at that exact moment in time. And I truly believe in these things like destiny, fate, serendipity, all this stuff almost to the week that I'd moved back from Exeter to Birmingham. He'd sort of put out a thing on his then Facebook page, I guess. This was still in the early days of Facebook and stuff, but he'd put out a thing on his private or personal Facebook wall, said, I'm looking for a producer for my show. And everybody was like, well, Matt's just moved back to Birmingham and he loves rock and he's done all this DJ and stuff. And yeah. I think it was just destiny, man. And so I wrote in, got in touch with this guy, came in because we went to the same school, knew a bunch of the same people, had a bunch of the same reference points. We yeah. hit it off straight away. Um, and then that led to, you know, me talking to you today in, in a, a long form way about it. That Kerrang Radio um, placement then became a full-time position. Then I became the evening host of that station and then everything else followed from there. Um, but it was really Henry Evans, the guy who took me in and gave me a chance and trained me up. Uh, nice. And the thing there, it, right time, right place, sure. And I had to be equipped to, you know, do the job and I was. But it really, if anybody listening to this is wanting to know how to get ahead in the media industry, I hate to say it because it is about work ethic and it is about talent and it is about all those things. But it really is who, you know, as you know, relationships facilitate opportunities. And that's the hard line fact of it. In my experience, and I've had a lot, all the jobs that I've ever got have been because I know somebody who's involved in some way. And that's not like because I'm privileged and I'm part of this private club. It's just because I'm sociable and people oh. who know me know that I'm reliable and can get the job done. You might be the best writer in the world, Jack, but if nobody knows that about you, how are you going to get the gig? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas if, and if, if an editor at a publication knows you, knows your work, then, you know, the door's already halfway open. I yeah, that that's um, interesting. It sound it seems quite because I was going to ask if you had any advice for people um, that might be wanted to get into something along the lines of journalism or music, <clears throat> journalism or radio or something like that. Um, it sounds exclusive, but I guess you're not from like a a family of journalists or nope, I have zero privilege. So I guess so I guess it's apart kind from of, my white skin. Yeah, yeah. Um, and my dick, if you want to be like that. <laughs> but, 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 but for me, from, yeah, I've, it's, I've it's fucking struggled every step of the way. I've kicked yeah. down every door that I've been presented with. It's not come from my family, my heritage, my education even. It's come from none of those things. It's come from being relentless. Um, okay. Just relentless drive, determination, never give in, never give up. Uh, and if you want to work in this industry, you have to love it. Because I'm 35. I live at my dad's house because I'm broke. From the pandemic i have yeah. thousands of pounds worth of debt i'm single you know i've done loads of amazing things in my life but if you look at my life on paper i'm a total loser <laughs> <laughs> and the yeah. facts of this industry is it does not pay unless you get lucky so you have to love it and if you love it then it's very easy to just keep chipping away but um this is, this is what i was going to say about um i was going to move on to going self-employed because obviously you've worked amazingly for kerrang radio kerrang radio scuzz tv louder than war loads of different publications and tv channels and radio stations 
And then you decided to go full time and start life in the stocks, which is your podcast. That's a big step for anybody. It's a bit like starting your own business, isn't it? So um, can you talk me through that decision and how it's been? I mean, and then maybe into the pandemic, because that's been obviously hard, right? Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, it wasn't a choice. I didn't choose to go freelance and, and it, it was chosen for you it was chosen Someone for, else. It, yeah my hand was forced i mean as you know just because from knowing me and people if they read my book will learn about it in the introduction to that but so my timeline of careers has been kerrang radio that closed down team rock radio that closed down metal hammer closed down came back but you know very rarely hires you know writers at the level that it did before scuzz tv that's gone so every single outlet that i've worked for has closed down and you have to imagine as everybody now can imagine you're in your life you're doing a great job your work speak for itself it's you know it's on point everything about what you're doing is exactly where it needs to be and then one day it's like you're out of work because the company's just been you know liquidated and you're like for fuck's sake this is the fourth time in three years that this has happened to me and that's what happened to me and at that point i just went i'm done I can't keep having the rug pulled from underneath me and having my fucking heart just ripped out because I'll find a new team of people and, you know, a new lane, whether it is radio or TV or writing, I've done them all. And it's like you're in your fucking element and then the next day you wake up and it's all gone. And that's, you know, as everybody now knows because the pandemic, I think, has done that to so many people. Yes. Although this year has been hard for me, I was so well prepared for it because I'm like, oh, everything's gone again. This is the fifth time in four years. Do you know what I mean? This is just what happens to me. Um, But so, yeah, the decision was not my own. um, And I just but I but I guess it was because I could have very easily, you know, just gone right. I don't want to work in the media industry anymore. It's too difficult. Um, You know, it's 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 in decline. And it is, you know, people don't buy magazines anymore. You know, not only do they not buy music, but they don't want to pay for anything, anything. Um, Well, music should be the thing that is paid for the most. But, you know, whatever. People just don't want to pay for anything anymore. Everything needs to be free. Give me all the content for free. I still want it, but I'm not prepared to pay for it. Keep it coming. And so everything is just, you know, it's falling apart, man. We're we're in dire straits in this industry. We truly are. Um, But I was like, what the fuck else am I going to do? I love this world so much. I love storytelling. I love connecting with people. I love creativity. I love art. I love conversations around these things. So how can I keep doing that and make an income? So I set up my podcast with that in mind. Four years on, it's still not making me any money. DJing was what has always been my bread and butter. Obviously, with the removal of that, this year has been a struggle. But when that comes back, that's how I make my money is going on tour with bands, playing sets between the bands, having residencies in bars. That's how I exist. And then yeah. the, the podcast is more for my soul. Um, what it also does, is obviously, you know, it keeps my profile in, in the public eye, which then gets me on tours with bands. So it really does facilitate all the great. I mean, I, I would say at this stage, every great opportunity that's come my way in the last four years, including this friendship with you, which I don't yeah. look at as an opportunity, but, you know, it's it's something I'm grateful for. Everything that's good in my life has come from doing my podcast all Amazing. the connections, all the relationships, all the opportunities. And so whilst the show itself doesn't pay me, I'm so rich in so many other ways because of it that the idea of not doing it is just not an option. Um, yeah, you're kind of forced to meet new people. Like, right, you know, you know like if, even if you sit, even during a pandemic when you're not, you know, out and about, you're actually having to interview new people all the time. And because of the type of podcast yours is, 
they're often people who are massively successful. So I, I can see how it does bring opportunity to you because, you know, like learning more, learning more about people, making connections all over the world. This is uh, it's otherwise quite hard to do if you, if you don't work in what we do, right? So, yeah, and, the, um, and the other thing is it stimulates ideas, doesn't it? Which you'll know as a journalist and a creative. You might yeah. have one conversation with one person and then from that conversation, five other ideas gestate in your mind. And, yes. and it's, it's just so self-perpetuating. And this year, is, in particular, with the removal of social interaction and travel and you know all the things that brighten up and enlighten our lives, with the, all of them being taken away for a, a moment in time, conversations have become more paramount than anything to me. Um, and the lessons that I've learned about myself in this last year through the conversations that I've conducted for my show and just the private relationships that I've cultivated online, um, you know, because you can't hang out in person. It's just enriched my soul and, and made me such a more engaged and interested person in the world and in people, um, which is kind of weird because you'd think, oh, in a pandemic of, you know, total solitude and isolation for the large part you'd be disconnected from the human yes. experience but from my point of view just because i've been actively staying in it i feel more alive and alert and inspired than i ever have in my entire life as a result of this last year oh nice i'm happy for you um to go on to like the people that you interview okay so you've interviewed i, I saw you describe what you do as a conversationalist which I quite like that. It's quite, it's quite a cool, uh, yeah, man. It's quite that, a cool description of what you do. That's the goal. Conversationalist. Yeah, yeah. That's the, that's the goal because then it's more of a dialogue than a, a straightforward grilling. Yes, <laughs> that, yeah, of course. Which an interview is, right? And, and I do try and do that too. I do try and ask, as you know, you've been on my show. Um, yeah. I try and ask questions that take the conversation to delicate areas. Yeah. I do so respectfully, but I don't just want to like hang out and shoot the shit and do small talk. Like I want to, I want to get into the core of the subject in the way that a good interview does. I just want to do it in a way that's a bit more informal, like yes. what we're doing now, just chatting. Exactly. Do you do you get nervous speaking to certain people, or and if so, how do you deal with those nerves? Because I have a thing where, like, personal heroes or people that I really admire or really like aren't necessarily the most famous people that I interview, or aren't necessarily the people in the bands, um, they're often just someone that I have a personal, you know, a, a personal interest in. And you're like, oh, shit, I don't want to mess this up. Yeah, I get uh, that. So, I get that yeah, completely. They're not necessarily, the, like, again, the most famous people. But they're the um, most important to you. They, they loom larger than life in your life, and that's what makes it daunting. I completely yes. understand that. Well, how do you deal with nerves? Do you get nervous? Do you know what? And I'm not just saying this. I I. 99.9% .9 of the time feel no nerves whatsoever. Um, right. and, and part of that is just the more you do something, the more comfortable you get. And you have to bear in mind at this stage, I've been interviewing for 12 years. Um, yeah. And the conversations that I do for my show are an hour long or more each time. So I'm like well into the thousands of hours of interviews that I've done. And so they just feel like second nature to me now. So I very rarely like overthink anything. A big thing about it as well is as I'm trying to learn more about this as a person, right? Being present in the moment, right? is so important. And it's the same as being on stage. You know, when you're on stage, there's so many thoughts going through your mind. The adrenaline is so intense. 
But if you can just channel that and focus it and, and be present in the moment, as I'm sure you are when you're performing on stage in those you know amazing atmospheres, when everything's just right and it falls into place and you're there and you're engaged in the moment, you're aware of every gesture and movement and, and thought. I try and approach interviews like that, that I'm not thrown by the intimidation of the situation and I'm not distracted mm -hmm. by the nerves or the doubt or anything like that. It's just trying to be so present in that moment that you're prepped and you've got your list of all your questions and everything you want to ask there. But if they throw a curveball at you and the conversation starts going in a completely different direction, you just ride that train to where it's going to go rather than trying to keep to your regimented script. And that's the same as a show, right? Like if something unpredictable happens, you can't then go to your immediate arsenal of one-liners or do you know what i mean like certain performers have yeah. just like an, a, a staged performance that it's in the confines of this space and it doesn't move from it and then there's other performers who are just free and real in the moment and will go wherever that particular night needs to go and i try and look at interviews like that don't have the list of questions down and this does apply to nerves and stuff because i think the only time you get nervous is when you're like i really want this to be great this needs to be great because i love yeah. this person yeah. i really respect this person i really want them to like me i don't want to fuck it up that's when nerves st starts to creep in because it's self-doubt if you just go this is a human being i'm a human being i'm going to do my best to connect with them and if it happens amazing if it doesn't it's not meant to be but don't get too worried or concerned about like impressing anybody um yeah. you know if you're interested which i know you are as a journalist if you have the questions that you know are going to make for interesting conversation just have belief in that and just go to fucking work yeah, and that's, yeah. that's how i look at all of it i would get nervous i think if i was interviewing more actors uh, again because that's that personal hero thing for me like musicians now to me are like you know, they're just civilians that are in the supermarket. <laughs> and that's Gene Simmons. That's Be Real. That's whoever else. Like the yeah. biggest names that I've interviewed. For me, they don't phase me because I just I know musicians. I know how to talk to them. Um, comedians, I'm a little bit more like that with now, having had a bunch of comedians on my show. But the big kind of holy grail, the elusive unicorn type figures to me are still actors. Yeah, big actors. Yeah. And if I was going to interview like a Jim Carrey or someone, man, then I would be freaking out for sure. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I understand. <laughs> uh, do you ever have it when, because <clears throat> you've interviewed some people that are quite controversial. I mean, they're rock stars, so, you know, yeah, there's should a bit be. of controversy along, along their timeline. Do you ever have it when, because I was thinking about this, you know, before the interview, I have it with people quite a lot due to the nature of what I write. But do you have it with where you disagree with somebody personally? Um, and obviously you want to, lubricate the conversation so that you can you know get an hour's worth of conversation with them um but also you have your personal morals your personal opinions on things uh, do you ever like what do you ever come into that situation and how do you deal with it do you just go i'm going to let them speak because this is their time or do you think no maybe i should challenge them or what yeah, this is the most interesting area of it all to me. Um, and my friend Monique Powell from the band Save Ferris said to yeah. me once when we first met and connected, she said to me, "Your," she said, niche. I was like, you mean niche? Um, she said, you, <laughs> your niche, Matt, is talking to like, quote unquote, problematic um, rock stars or whoever they may be, whatever their creative field is, talking to these people who are perceived to be, for whatever reason, controversial and humanizing them and speaking to them in a way that just shows their humanity 
you know, not their supposed flaws, not their vile thoughts, whatever, whatever they may or may not be, but just who they are as people. And and for me, you don't have to agree with, I mean, even your closest friends. I think it's important to not agree on many levels with mm. everybody in your life. Difference is so important and discussion is so important. And when I speak to people who are quote unquote problematic, it's not of any concern to me whether I agree with them or not. I just want to know who they are and what makes them tick and why they are the way they are. And I try and put aside whatever differences there may be and just go, well, because differences are there just to divide us, right? And some people are just spiteful, horrible human beings. And I think that's the other thing is someone like a Gene Simmons or a John Lydon, let's use those two. They're always great examples. Both of those guys are pretty vilified pretty ridiculed, pretty hated, pretty controversial, all these things because yeah. of, in many cases, things they've said. But I know in my heart, and all I know is what I know and what I believe, that they're good people. That They're good people that stand for good things, that they just occasionally say things that piss people off. And so if I know, or at least I believe in my heart, that they're a good person, I don't care what they've said that I might disagree with, or in some cases even find offensive or hurtful or whatever. Let's yeah. push that to the side and let's get to the heart of who they are, try and understand them better. Because we're all human beings. We all make mistakes. We all say dumb shit. We all do things we regret. Yeah. Um, and people should be allowed the chance to, I don't even want to say redeem themselves because I don't think that those aforementioned examples have to do that. But even the ones that do, everybody should be allowed a chance to tell their story, to share their side of things. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I don't ever really think it does. I, it's never a battle that I have in my head. Like, oh, I don't agree with what he's saying right now. If I don't, I'm just like, well, you know, I, I don't think anybody has the right to challenge the the beliefs of anybody else, whether or not you agree with them. Does that make sense? Like if you believe in something that I just don't, who am I to say that, you, that you're wrong to believe in that? That's your beliefs. Do you know what I mean? I, does that make sense? And it makes sense, but I don't agree. There you go. <laughs> there you, there go. you go. And that's your belief. And I would never <laughs> well, you know what, take that what? away from you. It, do you know what? Actually, I, th I think it's I think it's it's definitely a grey area for me as well because um, we're because it's talking about right and wrong, which are quite, you know, yeah. They're slippery um, terms, aren't they? That they're slippery, yeah. Certain well, things are. Murder, something... rape, things like these. These are obviously clear-cut cases of right and wrong. Yes. Or yeah. just both wrong. Um, <laughs> but then there's other things like, you know, inbuilt prejudices that certain people have or, you know, certain words that certain people use or, you know, certain attitudes that certain people have. These are all things that, they're gray. They exist in the gray area because one person might think, well, what you think and what you've said there is wrong. But then they'll go, well, no, here's why I believe it's right. And then that for me is where the interesting conversation takes place yeah. is in that discussion and how you break it down and each party lays their argument on the table. Mm -hmm. And then you hopefully reach some form of resolve at the end. That for me is like the essence of, of existence especially right now, rather than saying, no, nah, I don't agree with you. Shut up. Cancelled, deleted, okay. gone. It's like, whoa, okay. That's a pretty far out opinion, man. <laughs> Let's talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. I think I do. I do understand where you're coming from and I relate to that. I do think there's the, a the difference that comes where it's quite easy for perhaps some people to talk about, like it's easy for me to talk about things theoretically, 
but when things have real world impacts on people yep. um, that don't have real world impacts on me, um, I do think it can be a little bit um, flippant, I guess, to be like, you know, oh, you know, like, hey, we have different opinions, but it's like, well, you know, if someone's really like, don't know anti-refugee or something like that then you think like oh yeah but then that, that, that's, that's i'm not of... interviewing people like that, that i know that, yeah that's, I know. A, that's a whole other world um you I'm know using, i'm, I'm, using I'm an talking extreme to... example yeah, well yeah. it's not it's not extreme though but you know because you're doing articles like that i think that explore these things i'm talking to fucking guys that wear makeup and sing about <laughs> clowns and do you know what i mean like i know yeah, yeah. I have no disillusion of grandeur within my little field. I talk to musicians, actors, and comedians about art. And in those topics, things like politics and spirituality and identity issues, these things do come up, sure. But I'm not talking to world leaders about important issues. No. So that's the other thing is I don't think, you know, you said it earlier, they're rock stars, they're artists. It's not fucking important at the end of the day it <laughs> yeah. really isn't like what a musician or an actor or a comedian thinks about a fucking foreign affair policy is not important their opinion is not important because they're <laughs> not an expert it's important yes. no you're right you're right yeah. important to them but what gene simmons or fucking be real or whoever thinks about palestine do you know what i mean i don't give a fuck yeah like, I if i want to get to the root of that cause then i'm going to go to fucking sources an expert yeah. and that's i think why i don't get too bummed at like bogged down in like political correctness is i'm like it's fucking art man it's art yeah. and art should be challenging it should be provocative it should be problematic it should be thought-provoking uh, and it should encourage discussion and that's all it is because art doesn't have real world impacts in a, right. in that sense do you know what i mean it can elevate our spirits and get us through yeah, hard yeah. times and it can make us feel real emotions but and it, you know, dare I say, in some cases can change the world in a slight way for the better. But I don't think art is out there damaging the world or being harmful in the real right. world. Do you know what I mean? Like a movie, even the most offensive, grotesque film, you know, it might be fucking so violent. People might think, oh, my God, this film is a threat to society. It's not, though, is it? Racism, <laughs> sexism, yeah. homophobia, rape, murder, burglary, theft. These are things that are threats because that's real yes. life. Art is yes. all hypothetical because it just exists in the ether. Is this what compels you to keep going? Because obviously it's a lot of work what you do being a, being self-employed and it's, uh, you said your podcast doesn't pay so, so well, but you have to love it to do it. Your compulsion, does it come from it's not purely selfishly driven from what you've just said. It seems like you're compelled through trying to understand the world better or trying yeah. to under trying to understand creativity perhaps. Yeah, man. Would I mean, that be fair to say? Yeah. And I'm, I've actually just got goosebumps on my arms because nobody's ever really broken it down in that way to me before. And I've never really addressed it in my own head before, but it is a compulsion. You use that word and that's so applicable and key to me. I'm obsessed and, you know, I, I never take time off. I never like relax or chill um, or take a break. And, you know, I'm not like stressed. I don't have a stressful life. I'm not like a hectic person. I love what I do and I find it really enriching and rewarding, but it is intense and my relationships have suffered and, you know, my mental health has suffered. Um, and these are all things I've done to myself. So it's not like boo hoo woe is me, but yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty, intense my my kind of 
obsession with people and creatives and and trying to understand and it is all i think because i'm trying to figure out who i am and my relationship with the world i think it is all from that it's almost like a need like i need these conversations to take place for my own resolve and closure and i'm still not there and i don't think i'll ever get there but I'm, i'm constantly striving to get there and yeah and i think i mean this is a whole box that one day i'd like to open with a therapist when i can afford one but I think certainly to swing it and circle it all the way back to the adolescence thing earlier, I think just because of the, the things I was exposed to from a young age and the experiences that I had, my world was just thrown in complete like disarray. My Ubix cube was shaken up very early on and I've never quite put those pieces back together. And for me, having conversations with people who think about the world and you know our engagement with it, they helped me to try and figure out my own place in this crazy life. Uh, and I find them so empowering and inspiring. And yeah, that's why I do it. I mean, it certainly is not for, um, and I think maybe that is, I wouldn't say it's selfish because it's not at the expense of others. Do you know what I mean? Like it's completely yeah. self-serving, but I'm very, I think, generous with, you know, I mean, the conversations that I share, I get messages every week saying how much, you know, a certain thought or idea um, or philosophy or whatever it is like, touch somebody in a way so i think that's quite a you know a positive thing to be putting out into the world but yeah it does all come from this deep-rooted disconnect for sure and i'd never really thought about it in that way before but it's good it's good to it's, talk. it's good to it's, talk about these things jack <laughs> it, it is it is yeah you make me think about what i do like yeah i'm very grateful for to the people that i interview i'm grateful to them i'm great for the people that commissioned my articles but but anyone that I've been allowed to write about to even help in some ways because you know I don't I, it's not like a charity case situation but you know if I interview a band and I pick I try and pick smaller bands to interview because I like to give people some exposure because I think there's a lot of bands out there that people don't know so to use bands for example because you interview a lot of musicians I, I'm I'm grateful to them. You've taught me something. You've gave you've given me. Well, they give me a life, really. Like uh, you know, I get. Dude, why do you I, think the show is called Life in the Stocks? Like that's they that's give me not, a life. It's not yeah, by yeah. accident. This is my life, man, and this comes from from what we're doing right now. It's all like that is just a source of strength and power and inspiration. And yeah, it it's so key to feeling alive for me. Um, talking about why we do what we do as creative people um it is rewarding it's incredibly rewarding it is yeah i agree man um uh you talk about success in your book there's a big chapter about success and i found that interesting because it's a very you know that's the loosest murky area isn't it yeah and that's why i quite liked it because it was quite open and open topic for people to chip in their 50 pence worth of whatever they thought it was so what do you think about success what do you think defines success for you and um do you feel successful yeah well in the intro um that's kind of all my thoughts are sort of broken down on it there and that it was the hardest intro for me to write that one you know, I can talk about, I can set up a chapter about booze and drugs very easily. I can set up a chapter about childhood very easily, even politics yeah. and religion, which is, you know, two far huger, you know, 
just complicated and layered subjects, I can break that down more easily in my head, in my definition of those things, than I can success. Because success is the slipperiest of all concepts. What makes a person successful? I think it's down to the individual. You know, if, a, if an individual feels in his heart that he is a success, then he is, and nobody can take that away from him, whether he's getting paid minimum wage or he's a billionaire. Um, mm -hmm. Success for me is a philosophy. It's a state of mind. Uh, and if you exist in a space that brings you fulfillment and joy and a sense of peace and you're grateful and you feel like what you're doing is enough and you're just content with where you're at and you're in that sweet spot, whatever you do, whatever you earn, however popular or good looking or whatever you are, you're a success. Like if you're just at peace with where you're at in life today, here now, that makes you a successful human being in my book. But then the other side successful? to that is our old buddy, Gene Simmons. Sorry to keep mentioning him, but he is somebody that I quote in this introduction to success. And he yeah. said a very key thing to me, which made me think, because I was saying, you know, if you do what you love for a living, then you're a success. And he's like, but if you can't pay your rent doing what you love, are you a success? And I was like, fuck, that's a really complicated question. Because we all need to eat. We all, and you know, could you say that a happy person who's living on the street is a success? I don't know the answer to that because they're on the street and they're fighting for their life. But if they're genuinely okay with where they're at, do you know what I mean? And again, I think it's all on the individual. If you can look at yourself in the mirror and you feel, in in all honesty, you're not lying to yourself. You're not trying to trick yourself or convince yourself. If you can look in the mirror and say to yourself. I'm successful and then I think nobody can challenge that well they can challenge it but yeah yeah good I, luck well, well I'd say if you can't if you do what you love for a living but you can't pay your rent because I can't right now I'd be I, real I'd, I'd argue that that says <clears throat> that's a problem that's a societal problem things need to change structurally yeah. so that people can afford to live and yeah. also do what they love and I think that the, the whole system needs to change rather than that does not reflect on the person themselves. I remember I watched I watched this documentary last night called 20 Feet from Stardom. It was very good. It's about backing singers. And wow. um, okay, I mean, what a great yeah, relation to this topic. Yeah, so you, that, could, you could name 50 of the best backing singers in the world. Most people have never heard of them, right? But yet exactly. they're doing what they love for a living. Well, well, impacting people on these records or with these shows. What was yeah, the you, take from the documentary that you got? It was beautiful. It was just, it was a handful of, of backing singers um, right from, right from like Phil Spector era, like uh, Darlene Love and everyone, right up to people that were performing with Stevie Wonder now, like, you know, younger people. Anyway, it was just kind of the people behind all the biggest songs you've ever heard. And, yeah. and they were beautiful, wonderful people. Some of them were really happy being backing singers they were like i don't have to put up with all the other bullshit that comes with being a pop star mm -hmm. and then some of them kind of wanted to spin start their own careers i'm not going to go too much into it because it was a beautiful documentary but darlene love for example Amazing. she yep. after doing all these phil specter stuff and um like you know best-selling records like real best-selling records even when she had her name on it darlene love doing the christmas songs with phil specter she afterwards she got fuck all money for it and then she started cleaning. She was like a cleaner, right? She was a cleaner for years. And, you know, 
maybe she couldn't afford to pay rent. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm hypothesizing. Yeah. But then would she be? Would she not be successful? I well, mean, it depends if she's happy. She it depends um, if she's okay with being a cleaner after having been through what she's been through. If she's like, I achieved what I wanted to. My music is out there and exists forever, and I'm happy with what I achieved in that time. And now I have to do this to exist, but that's okay. Yeah. If she's content, then she's a success. Exactly. And that's what I mean. Is like it's totally up to you. It's super interesting. Ego is a big thing as well. Ego is <laughs> the enemy of so much. It's the enemy of happiness for sure. I think it's the enemy of contentment. It's the energy and enemy. Sorry, of so many things. Because once your ego gets in the way, again, that's when these things like self doubt and you know your sense of inadequacy or unsatisfaction you know that's when all these creep in if you can shed that away and just be like well look at what i get to do fuck like i might not be making money off this little thing but i'm interviewing everybody i'd ever want to interview and i'm learning about myself and the world mm -hmm. um and it's just making me feel so alive and enriched and inspired and then i've got to go out there and do whatever i have to do to pay the bills do, do you feel successful no which okay. might sound crazy to some people um you know, or it might, whatever, but, you know, I've toured with, like, I've played the Roundhouse in London. I've played Brixton Academy a few times. I've toured the UK and Europe about 10 times with yeah, international touring acts. I've written a book. I've got a podcast, which has been number one in the iTunes charts. I've hosted a show on Kerrang Radio. I've been award nominated. I've been on television. I've written for all the music magazines and websites in the UK. I've done all these things. That's like a checklist of like, boy, well, where else is there to go? But here I am, 35, at my dad's house, can't yeah. pay rent. And it comes back to that for me. My dream in life, you sent me a text last night, and I'm going to, if it's okay with you, jump into one of those questions now because I think it kind of... Yeah, I hope or dream you have for the future. Yeah, that's it. My only hope or dream for the future is to pay rent doing what I love. That's it. I don't have lofty goals. If I could make 30 grand a year, which is more than I've ever earned in my life doing anything. If I could make 30 grand a year or more, more would be awesome. If I could just hit in at that 30 grand a year spot doing my podcast and, and writing books and DJing and going on tours, if I could make a livable, comfortable wage from that, boom, that's it. That's my hope and dream for the future is just to do that. Then I'll be stoked because I feel stoked now. I'm in such a good place in my life now without that. So that for me is like, that's the goal. That's the dream is just 30K, my own flat somewhere. Yeah maybe a dog awesome that's doable it's totally doable it's totally <laughs> totally doable Fucking, and that's it's that's so the annoying thing, that it's, that, you know, it's so annoying that all this all the hard work that you put in and and other people that it just doesn't always transpire to just being able money to exist. i'm not bothered about money but it's like i'm the same as you it's like you want to get kind of done paid what for I don't... your work don't you that's the thing it's like artists artists yeah, and i work workers, hard you deserve to be compensated for your efforts. Uh, and that's not being greedy. That's just, you know, I've made this thing. I've labored over it. Yeah. Pay me, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you, if you don't mind, we, I've, got, I've got a few more points I want to talk about. Yeah, man. Yeah, we can go for a good a good 20 minutes or so more. I've, I've got a while till my next chat, but I want to take a while to prepare and, and get ready for that. But yeah, I've got, I've got plenty of time for you, dude. Of course. Okay, cool. Um, of course, yeah, like take as much time as you need before your next thing. Tell me when you're up. Um, I'm, I'm interviewing the, the lady that made Baby Teeth, that Australian movie. Have you seen it? I haven't seen that, no. Dude, you've got to watch it, man. I'm interviewing the director, Shannon Murphy, her name is. Um, one of my favourite films of the last 10 years. Check it out. 
later tonight or oh, in a couple it tonight, of days yeah. and get back to me on it. It's a be- beautiful film. Oh, nice, nice. Um, so you've started a new podcast, which, you know, in the thick of everything that you've got going on, seems <laughs> bold. I love it, man. Like, why not get another thing on the go? Um, not, so- not only have I started another podcast, but as of next week, I'm going to be putting up two episodes of Life in the Stocks every week as well. Told you, man, and I didn't realize until you just said that word, but I'm a fucking compulsive motherfucker <laughs> there's yeah. like no no rest no peace um but yeah stoke the fire is the new yeah, one t- tell me about it all because in your book you talk about creative partnerships and as we touched on before me and you work quite solitary you know we we're quite we have to be driven I, this is not part of my character by the way i'm like creative left brain like hey let's see where this takes us but i've had to teach myself to be very disciplined yeah, and because I'm self-employed, so it doesn't come naturally to me. It's um, a good skill to have, isn't it? It's a good thing to hone and develop because then you then you can exist like on your own. Yeah, you can you, you know? can have those. You've got the tools. You've got both fun. sides. Yeah, you can have those creative fun. If you've got the logistical side sorted out, you can have those creative fun. Fuck it, let's pull this string and see where it goes, kind of thing. Makes you um, a double threat, Jack. Exactly, and as <laughs> as. Uh, as Roots Maneuver says, discipline maketh the geese. There, there you we're, go. Amazing. We are ge- we are it's geezers. so, so, so true. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yeah go on, but, creative anyway, partnerships. So, so creative partnerships. So you've had to go into a creative partnership. after You talk about it in your book um, with other people, but now you are. You're with Jesse Leach from Killswitch Engage, who, if you're listening and you don't know who that is, Killswitch Engage are a metal band from America. And they're dope. And this is a really fun and exciting new project. And I've, I've listened to an episode. Tell me all about it. It's the best thing that's ever happened to me in my entire life. Uh, Woo! We're, we're only two months in and it already it shaped and shifted and changed me at my core in such a deep, profound and incredible way. It's wild, man. It's so wild. We're on this amazing journey together and it's only just going to get bigger and more exciting. And it came from our podcast together so jesse was on my show very early on he did episode five of life in the stocks which is like february or march 2017 i'd interviewed him a couple of times before then for kerrang radio and scuzz tv and this also links to another question in your text that you sent me of somebody who's inspired me and i'll bring that answer into this one as well is like jesse very early on was a guiding light to me for somebody who uses his platform, which is infinitely bigger than mine, to talk extremely openly and vulnerably vulnerably about mental health and depression. And I'd never seen anybody, not in our world of music and rock and roll anyway, use their social media, Instagram in particular, because you can write nice long posts, just to talk on the table, like here's the cards, about his experiences, his struggles. And that changed my the way I use social media from then going forward, he opened the door for me and I was like, wow, this guy is just, he's laying it on the line. He's bearing his soul. And he's he's talking about these quite, you know, what's the word? Stigmatized, still very stigmatized issues in such a frank and refreshing way. And that, that really inspired me. So we bonded over that before he even knew it, that he'd inspired me. And then when we got to talking in the podcast that we did, we just like, because it was such an early episode of the show, it really helped me establish a tone for the podcast for Life in the Stocks. And mental health since that moment 
become an incredibly important and core subject within the multitude um uh, yeah, and it's interesting that I didn't have a mental health chapter in the book. That sort of just <laughs> made me think that now, but it feeds into other chapters in, in other ways. Yeah, of um, course. And it's also, I don't want to be like the mental health guy. That's important for me because I'm more than that. And life's more than that. And it's the same thing as a disability, right? Where well, it is a disability. It fucking disabilitates your life. But it's not, if you're, if, if you're somebody that suffers from say bipolar disorder, that's not pigeonholed who you are. You're infinitely more than that. That's just one thing, one characteristic in many mm -hmm. that makes up who you are. And so I never want to be the mental health guy because I want to be, you know, the guy that talks about creativity and family and yeah. everything else as well. Um, and so we bonded over that and then we did a live Q&A together. And that's when it was like whoo, seeing the reaction in the room because podcasts are great. And they reach people in such a fun way because there's no time constraints. So people can just put it yeah. on and get lost in them. But you as a host don't get to see the response to your conversation. You know, you might see a nice review on iTunes, but you don't see it then and there as you would, you know, if you're singing with Waco on stage, you see right then and there the effect that's having. And that's powerful, right? So when we did this live Q&A together and we just saw people in the audience like crying and becoming overwhelmed with positive emotion and you know hugging jesse at the end and having pictures and thanking him and wow. showing him wow. showing him tattoos of his lyrics and thanking me for hosting this amazing discussion and you know from that night there was only about 120 people at that show but i can like remember so many of them by face and name because they've become such key supporters of me and people in my life and that's like just one night that we did and me and jesse both after that were like wow imagine if we could do more of this or more of something like this and it was always there and i was speaking to him kind of right at the start of the pandemic about doing something together but then the book thing came up and so that obviously ate up so much of my time and i wanted to get that done but it's been something that's been in the making for so long but it felt like with this year and with everybody being like you know just affected by this crazy situation in such a way it just felt like the right time for a show like this like such a right time um and yeah the conversations that we're having man range from like which episode did you hear i listened obviously i listened to father maximus mcintyre i mean which is a, a, a russian orthodox a russian orthodox is he a priest, priest? Uh, yeah priest yeah, and yeah. he and he's involved in exorcisms among other things so not only is it interested learn, learning about the russian uh, orthodox church um but also about just ghost stories and stuff like that. I thought it was fascinating. Yeah. And what's what the kind of the best thing about all of it has been. And since then we've had on um, this lady who's a mystic as well. Yes. I've got that queued up. Yeah. yeah. She's incredible, man. She's like my new favorite person. We've spoken pretty yeah. much every day since that show. And she's just, she is amazing. Um, and what I realized the other day, I haven't spoken to Jesse as we're talking now. I haven't spoken to Jesse in two weeks cause he's been in Costa Rica and I just like, can't wait for him to get back so we can catch up and reconnect because dude, the, the emails that we get, we make a big thing of saying on the show, like, cause Maximus was just a listener, that guy, the Russian priest, he was literally yeah. just somebody who was listening. So what's the spirit? What's the heart of the podcast? Sorry. Like what the what heart is of it? it is. Just, why, why is it different to your normal one now? Your other one, sorry. We're not interviewing. That's the, the key difference is we'll have guests on, but the, the concept of stoke the fire is it's around the campfire discussion. So right. we're, pu we're pulling up logs. We're sitting around a digital, you know, imaginary campfire and we're having discussions about life rather than what inspired this record or, you know, this, I mean, I don't 
ask kind of basic straightforward questions like that on my show anyway but my show is a lot more about art and creativity and you know the human kind of inspiration whereas stoke the fire is about completely and solely the human experience um and so we've gone from theology and spirituality and all of those things and faith to addiction and trauma uh obviously mental health depression these things are recurring um but just like the the fucking struggles struggles of life and how people make it out the other side and the tools that we can give ourselves how we can equip ourselves to you know go about life in such a way that we make it to the end of the day yeah (laughs) you know because that might sound what but again like another thing that you were talking to me about um like the biggest challenges and stuff that we face i think the biggest challenge that we face every single day is just making it to the end of that day staying alive is the biggest challenge that we all face every single day whether that's a battle in there or whether that's just you step outside the front door and the whole world there's fucking danger everywhere you know wherever that might be a car a vehicle a person looming threat the hardest fucking challenge we face every single day, I believe, is staying alive. And when you wake up, you go, fuck yeah, I made it to another day. Let's go. Yeah. And, you know, that that for me is the new mindset that I'm in of just like live in the moment, live for the day. And if you make it to the end of it, great. Like you nailed it. Um, and Marcella, who I just mentioned, she's a psychic. She's a, like a medium. And, and what's been super cool, and I don't want to be disparaging towards like the heavy metal community in any way with, with this comment, but yeah, heavy metal let's be honest, isn't known to be the most liberal, open-minded, accepted community. And it, that's just my yeah. experience. And I've got a lot of experience with heavy metal. <laughs> right? I've worked for all the publications yeah, that champion yeah, yeah. that music. I've been to all the festivals a thousand times over. And I know that a lot of them are very conservative with a little C. They just are. Yeah. And what's been fucking amazing about this show with Jesse is we've been getting on russian orthodox priests and psychics and we're yeah. talking about quite fucking out there topics for some people you know we're talking yeah. about p- demonic possession we're talking about spirits and the afterlife and you know quite hippy diffy stuff too like nature yeah. and exercise and well-being and veganism and, and the response has been so receptive and they've been so supportive and encouraging and fucking cool and on board with it and the overriding theme is that just there's so many people out there that need a show like this right now. And that's yeah. not us on some ego trip. Like what we're doing is important. You're damn right. It's important to us, but we just want to, again, me and Jesse are doing it for ourselves as much as for everybody else, because we really need it. And honestly, man, these conversations already just two months in have changed my life in so many ways. Life in the stocks is forever like chipping away in a positive way at my soul. Like them you know making yeah. me making me a better wiser more rounded person stoke the fire is like taking my brain giving it a big shake uh-huh. big shake twisting it around and then sending me back out into the world and i'm like nice. wow just <laughs> like completely recalibrated and so inspired and it's the best thing i've ever done man it's it's an incredible already incredible thing to be a part of and yeah i can't wait to see where it goes man i really can't well, the um, yeah, mate, I've really enjoyed that first episode, and it does feel different. It feels like a different. It's got a different spirit to life in the stocks, and um, it does, right? It's like I'm looking for. I'm looking forward to where where it's going to lead. Um, yeah, both for you personally, and also because I, I like to listen as a listener. 
Yeah, um, please, please check out the the Marcelo one, man, and uh, and let me know what you think of that. And then today we just uploaded a chat with Randy Bly from Lamb of God, yes, as well, cool guy, and and we just talked for you know a good forty five fifty minutes in that about addiction and how you can overcome alcoholism with PMA, essentially like a mindset. Um, and he breaks down some really cool like coping mechanisms and approaches. And I think anybody who struggles, because I've realized that as well, is like I've always had an unhealthy relationship with alcohol. Right. I don't think I'm an addict, but I certainly don't, you know, I, I don't really do moderation very well. I'm certainly not what you'd call a responsible drinker. And, you know, having conversations with people like Randy has made me question my own relationship with, you know, mind altering substances and, and made and kind of like the whole point of this token thing is to wean it out of my life you know, uh, and I'll hopefully like next year go down to 20 and then 90 and okay. or maybe, or maybe jump to 15. Like I'm at, a, I'm at a crossroads in my life, Jack. And I feel like I'm not quite ready yet to close that door, but I can feel myself being pulled in a different direction. And I like sober me a lot more than I like drunk, wasted high me. And that hasn't always been the way I've always in yeah. the past kind of embraced the party animal. And that's been a big part of my identity but I'm staring at a crossroads in my life at the moment. And it's only me that feels that way, but you know, that's, it's your life. Nobody else matters. And I definitely feel the pull of a new lifestyle and I'm, I'm, I'm embracing it and I'm going to go where it takes me because despite all of this madness outside with the last year inside, my house is so in order and my, my mind is the healthiest it's ever been and i want to keep it that way and i want to keep nurturing it rather than you know damaging it any more than i undoubtedly already right. have over the years of excess yeah yeah i totally understand the um the one last question i've got because you answered the other two yeah i'm um, sorry i was just chatting away and i felt no, that's like good they were, they were good moments yeah. to to bring them in i thought it's good it, it works quite well that way because um we've covered those We've covered those anyway. It might uh, also be challenge... my unwillingness to be a passenger, and I'm sorry if that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's my hang-up. <laughs> you've actually talked about challenges already, but I usually ask a, a, about a challenge that you've overcome and how you did it and how it make, made you feel. Yeah. Um, this can be of any size at any time in your life. Um, do you want to share something? Yeah, I mean, life for me is a series of challenges. That's all they are, really. Um, it's one obstacle after another. Sometimes we jump over, sometimes we crawl under, sometimes we sidestep and swing around. But I think it's healthy to look at all of life as a continuing, ongoing challenge. Everything in front of you is a challenge, but a challenge for me isn't problematic or stressful or anxiety-inducing. A challenge for me is exactly that, a challenge. It's like when you're a kid, right? You're presented a mathematical challenge, and the idea is to work it out. Like, conclusion is a positive resolve. So a challenge for me would be everything that I face from losing my first job on Kerrang and bouncing back from, from that and the struggle of that to breaking my back and learning to walk again, um, to breaking up with every girl I've ever loved and coming back from that. Like I think everything in life that is set in front of us is in its own way, big or small, a challenge. Um, and I think the only way to healthily and happily exist is to for me at least and this would be my kind of take or mantra maybe would be it's all a challenge and and the 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 idea is how do we approach them like what's our mindset um do we want to look at them as something 
positive to overcome and grow and learn from or do we want to look at like oh my god i can't face that today i can't fa-. you know every day you got to get up and face it because if you don't they, they ain't going anywhere i've learned that you know i had so many things that have just been building up and i've just been burying them and drinking and hiding away from a lot and then when the pandemic hit it's like oh fuck i've got three months now just at home to stare at myself in the mirror and ask who am i like who do i want to be um and so you get to the bottom of all this bullshit that you've been burying for so long and that's difficult right you know we don't like to face these things because we see a version of ourselves that we don't like and we go oh god i fucking i remember that guy but the only way i think we can grow and improve is by facing up to our weaknesses and our flaws and and looking at them as i said like a kind of a, a positive equation to solve um so i know that's not a direct answer it's more of a kind of loose yeah yeah <laughs> but um it's all, okay. for, for me, it's, let's go back to what I was saying earlier. Staying alive is the biggest challenge I've ever faced. You know, I've wanted to kill myself. There was a period in time where I thought about killing myself every day for about 10 months, every single day throughout the day. And I got to the point where I was like, oh, I can't kill myself because I've broken my back and I nearly did that before. And I saw the pain that it caused my parents. and I can't put them through that. So I got to a point where I was like, well, I'll wait till they're dead. And when my parents are dead, that's when I'll kill myself. And I was living with that thought for months, months and months and months. And something changed in me. I don't know what or when. It was probably around autumn time last year was when it like completely was resolved. But something changed in me where I just was like, dude, life's the greatest gift ever. Why would I want to end this? Even when it's awful and challenging and, you know, stressful and heartbreaking, it's the only thing we know. I'm sure there's something else afterwards, but nobody else has been, nobody's been back from it to let us know, oh, what's coming up next is awesome. So we don't know for sure that there is anything after this. So all we do know for sure is that this is all we have. So we have to make the most of it. We have to stay in it. Um, so the biggest challenge has been staying alive. And I'm happy to say so far, I've been kicking that challenge in the ass every day. And I will continue to because life, even when it's shit, is the most amazing thing. And that's heavy. Just a classic Sunday morning chat. <laughs> you said you said you look in the mirror. You looked in the mirror. You you know you know metaphorically, I guess, looking in the mirror, trying to work out who you I want know, to be. Not 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 even metaphorically, like literally, literally looking in my bathroom mirror at my old house in Wolfhamstow, just like, who is this guy? You know, because you remove distractions. I spent my whole life. DJing in bars, going on tour, running around town. Like, you know, there was always something to do. So I was never really addressing who I was or what I was doing. And then that was all taken away. And I was like, fuck, who is this person? I don't know whether I like this person. But you, you, you mentioned who you want to be. Well, who do you want to be? I'm, I want to be the best version of me. That's what I want to be. And I'm on my way. I'm on... I'm definitely on my way. I, I'm I'm the best version of myself that I've ever been. Like I've never been a better version of me than the one I am now. Um, I believe, and again, that's all that matters to me. But yeah, I, I want to be somebody that is present for his friends and his family. I want to be somebody that is dependable and is there. You know, I want to be the guy that you can count on to do right by you and have your back in any situation. Um, and that's really all I want to be is somebody that does right by the people who he cares about. Cheers, Love man. you, buddy. It's my pleasure. Love you, mate.
Um, I'll uh, we'll call it there. Thank you so much, man. I know you need to get ready for your next interview. I've really enjoyed the chat, and I uh, I've learned. I know you more now. I've I've learned a lot about you. That's the goal, right? And yeah, everybody listening to this should know. I'm sure you do because you're already listening. But what a wonderful man Jack Hutchcraft is. And I'll, you know, there's 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 only a few people in my life that I can distinctly remember the first time I met them, and distinctly remember the feeling of wanting to be friends with that person forever. You know, there's only a few and you're definitely at the top of that list. Like I remember the night, I remember the feeling and you've always been, although we haven't always been close. I feel like we've become really close in the last couple of years, but you've always been since that night that I met you, somebody that I wanted in my life. And I'm grateful to have you in my life, dude. And what you put out into the world for me is inspiring and awesome. And uh, it's been an honor to come on your show. I feel the same about you. I love you, dude. Love you, mate. Feature in a bit, man. What a nice way to start the day. Thank you for listening to the Human Magic Podcast with me, Jack Hutchcraft. What a great guest, Matt Stocks. What a guy, what a top, top bloke. If you've enjoyed this episode and you'd like to buy me a coffee or a pint, then you can donate to the podcast if you want. The link is in the description, um, which you can, you can find on Spotify or wherever you're listening. I've also put links in for Matt Stocks' podcast and his awesome book. And so please check them out because I, I think you'll really get a lot from them. He's a talented dude, and I'm, I basically feel very lucky to call him my friend. Um, if you're listening to this and you're going through hard times, um, I just want you to know that things will get better, okay? This too shall pass. You are beautiful. You've come so far, and you've got a lot to be proud of. Um, yeah, hang in there. So... I'll catch you next time. I've got some great new episodes recorded, so I can't wait to share them with you all. Um, Until then, see ya.